I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Motorsport Season Review Awards in association with Pocker 1.8 Model Kits. Hello and welcome to the Motorsport F1 Season Review podcast. Uh, we're going to be looking back at a landmark season, at least for records, if not for unpredictable results. I'm your host, Damien Smith, and I'm delighted that we're joined today by, by two special guests. The first is a very familiar voice to motorsport listeners, Mark Hughes, Grand Prix editor of the magazine and uh, the writer of a superb new Verstappen uh, biography. Hi, Mark. How are you? Hi, Damien. Uh, yes, that's very kind. Thank you. <laughs> I enjoyed reading it. I enjoyed reading it. Oh, good. How's, I haven't seen you for a while. You're, you're, the listeners won't be able to tell, but you're very hirsute these days. How long has that been around for? Oh, it's just a winter one. It's coming oh, off it? before the season starts. Yeah. Came out of the wrong colour. Came out all white. Yeah. Well, I don't know how that's happened. Strange that, yeah. isn't it? Very odd. Yeah. Very odd. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, good to see you, Mark. Um, our second uh, special guest is, of course, Alex Brundle. Uh, racing driver and broadcaster. Alex, welcome. Thanks very much. It's great to join you finally um, on one of these podcasts. I know we've been uh, talking about it for a little while. Um, so it'll be good to debate the uh, the ins and outs of the Formula One season. Yeah, and our paths have crossed a couple of times this year. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I saw you, but you actually provided one of the highlights of my season, uh, driving that Ferrari 512 at the Silverstone Festival. Um, what was that like? Well, it was probably one of the highlights of your season. It's probably one of the highlights of my life. <laughs> I must admit, driving uh, driving that thing, uh, a brilliant piece of kit. Um, thank you um, to the owner of that, who I, I'm not sure whether they will uh, they will welcome or or would rather not be named specifically on a, on an unconnected podcast. But ah, uh, yeah, I mean, Ferrari V12 doesn't get much better than that, does it? No, absolutely not. No. Well, let's crack on with the, the podcast. We're going to do uh, a review of the season team by team. So I thought we'd just go through them in, in constructors order. So we're obviously starting at the top with that team, Red Bull Racing, that have just dominated the season. Um, Mark, can I start with you? Um, you know, this team never settles for what they had the previous year. Uh, they moved the game on yet again. What was it about them that impressed you this year? Just that it would have been very easy just to, given their um, advantage the year before, just to sort of tweak it a little bit and know that they probably would have still had something with which would have been good enough for Max to deliver them another championship, but they didn't. They've um, although looked at a casual glance, pretty much like last year's car it was, and when you looked into the detail of it, it was a deeper chassis, it had different suspension with the the aerodynamics were balanced in a quite different way um and it was yeah it was just it's probably a, when you when you look at the comparisons where you you, you can at the, the tracks where the, you sort of got a, a a reasonable read on it it looked like it was about a second a lap faster than last year's car despite the uh, regulation change which should have added about half a second 
two of that time. So, you know, they, they, they clawed the half a second of the regulation change back and um, took another second as well. And then that was, you know, given, given how much uh, pace they had uh, to start with, that was um, incredibly impressive. Yes, it was. Alex, I mean, we knew they were going to come out of the blocks as the, the favourites. Um, were you surprised at just how how dominant they were this year? I think I was. I think the main thing that surprised me was how little everybody else was able to do to catch up, frankly. Um, you know, you, you've got several teams, I don't know, we'll probably come on to, uh, through the mid-year who made big jumps forward in terms of performance. But when you get to the end of the Grand Prix season where you've got a car that has been dominant all year. There's a, yeah, okay, you've got a cost cap. Yeah, okay, you've got limitations on resource and those teams are racing all of the time. But there were several uh, occurrences through the year where the concept of that Red Bull was clear to see for, for the rest of the field. And what truly impressed me is you've got a dominant car year long uh, meaning that not only have they managed to find a concept that works, roll the concept forward that works, obviously with um, some adjustments that, that Mark just went into, but they've also managed to sort of defend the realm, if you like, of that concept and and, and keep everyone else at bay, which is, I think, what's most impressive about it. Yeah, and, and you know, this isn't a one-person team. It's not all about Adrian Newey, but he is the common denominator in this this. Uh, this era of success and in so many other eras as well. Mark, I mean, can you just explain a little bit about how this team works and how he operates and how he manages to find what other teams don't? Yeah, I mean, Adrian's quite a self-effacing individual. He's not somebody that stands up and says, right, follow me, men, and then heads off in the battle. He's, he's, he's just has this creative brain and he will say something like, you know, he feeds into that technical group. And I mean, it's a head of Aero, Enrico Balbo, and you've got tech director, Pierre Vash. They're the, 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 the critical people that, that, that keep that structure in place. And Adrian feeds into that. And certainly at a time of regulation change, so going back, you know, a year and a bit, when the new ground effect regs were, were coming into effect, um, I can imagine that he would be very, very valuable, in not only because he had previous ground effect experience at the very end of the last ground effect, but also just in the way he thinks about things when when you throw all the variables up in the air and say okay find find the ultimate from that he he is that that's what he does better than anybody else and if you look at what makes that car the concept of both the rb18 and the rb19 um different it was the way that it could combine the suspension platform with the aero platform in a way that it, it, you never saw the thing bouncing in either of the two seasons. Um, I think it, it, it bounced once in um, pre-season testing in 2018 and they fixed it and that was that. Um, but it's it, 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 it's clearly in his mind how the whole concept of the, the aero map has to work in combination with the suspension. And this has become much, much more important, crucially important in this set of regulations than, than previous ones where you basically, you'd, you fitted the, the, the suspension in around the aerodynamics and then that, that was all it was to it really. Um, it's, it's, it's a much more subtle game than that now. And um, I think it was significant that Adrian himself said, I'll do the suspension, I'll design the suspension. And, uh, you know, when you look at parts that the, the, the tech direct, direct directors actually 
design, it, it's very rarely they can point to a part. And, and, and I think that would have been true even of Adrian's career. Mm. But he specifically said, no, I, I did do the suspension on the um, the RB18 front and rear suspension. And that there's a reason for that. And I think that um, is built into the DNA of the car and, and uh, their advantage of the last two years. And speaking of his career, I mean, do you think it is a factor that he has that very distant experience of ground effects from his from the beginning of his career at Fittipaldi in March? Oh, for, for sure, it's, it's part of it. it it's, yeah. it's part of all the different things that feed into that the brain ticking over and thinking, mm, you know, that that's definitely one of the things, just like working on the ovals with Mario Andretti or Bobby Real is like all, all these things are just feeding in. He's vastly experienced as well, as well as um, very talented. So, yeah, for, for sure, he would have been, or he was aware, he, he talked about it, of the, the possible hazard of bouncing and porpoising. Um, and that will have been part of what he was thinking of in terms of, the shape of the the the, the aero map and how how the, the you know the tunnels should be um, a bit more forgiving than than perhaps what the theoretical uh, um, ultimate shaping would be. Yeah, Alex, let's move on to the drivers. Um, Verstappen and Sergio Perez, obviously heavily contrasting seasons, despite the fact they finished one two in the championship. You know, Verstappen came into the year as a fully formed two-time world champion, obviously one of the greats of his era, and certainly probably one of the greats of all time as well. Um, and that that reputation only seemed to be enhanced through uh, through this year, didn't it? What, what did you make of um, Verstappen's year? It's interesting because those two drivers for me were, were caricatures almost of, of two different drivers, almost a, a, a combination of two different drivers I've seen throughout my, my motorsports career. The driver full of confidence and Verstappen embodies the driver full of confidence. I've seen it in sports car teams when you have one driver who's clearly uh, faster than their lineup. But I've also seen it in single seater teams where you've got like between Verstappen and Perez, one driver who is clearly clear of their teammate. The way they walk, the way they talk, the way they operate in the team the jests over the radio, the back slapping in the pit garage, uh, and all of the sort of general banter that goes along with the the best favourite. You know, yeah. that that's what Max Verstappen really embodies for me. Counteracted or, or, or juxtaposed, I guess, against another driver I've seen throughout my career. And it was characterised best, I think, in the final stages of the season, in into Lagos, where Perez lost out uh, to Fernando Alonso, and then in Vegas, uh, where he, he lost out to Leclerc. It, the driver who's entirely lost that confidence uh, and has had it and has had it beaten out of them by having to turn up every Friday, every Saturday, every Sunday across a long season of races, and endlessly engage with where they've been beaten the day before. And that is something that is incredibly confident sapping. The moment for me on that, alongside those on-track moments, were when um, Sergio came into the pits. I remember standing on top of the pit garage. I was doing work for F1 TV in, in Suzuka. And I looked down as they wheeled Sergio back into the pit box, having retired the car for the first time. and um, And his eyes were just shocked hmm. there was there was there was the shock of an amateur driver who's just had a crash in the night at Le Mans um I cannot believe 
what the sequence of events that have just occurred. And so it, it was really interesting for me to watch those two drivers represent the winner and the loser within a racing organization throughout the year. But obviously um, the car from Adrian, what really impresses me about Adrian is uh, exactly as you were saying, Mark, he takes control of the elements of the car that require his attention. So when you moved into the era of energy systems, the packaging, when you read through his book, um, How to Build a Car, which is a, a brilliant read, I would recommend it to anyone. Um, the control of the energy system packaging in early energy system cars, and then now the control of the downforce uh, application to the tire surface, which is the dominant factor in management of the Pirelli tire, um, are things that he takes a stranglehold of, recognizes what's important, and appears to just be able to massage those factors. So I think, you know, the car's the star and the two drivers were were characters within a, within the play. Mm. Um, Mark per Perez, hugely experienced at this stage of his career and we know how you know he's a very effective grand prix driver the way he started the season there was even some talk that this could be a genuine push for the title against verstappen in the same team always seemed a bit like wishful thinking to me and and so it proved but it, it, it perez even assuming you might you, you would be in the same league i think um that really you you saw uh, max take a step up in performance there and in Miami, he just wiped the floor with him from, you know, a long way back on the grid. And, um, yeah, that, that was it, really. And I think um, it was a real body blow to Perez that I think Miami, you know, yeah, don't, I didn't see his head come back up after that. And then the car developed, in a, in, as it always will do, in a way that Max prefers. And uh, that worked against Checo, too. And it, it all just, you know, it just got into a, a vicious cycle. And... It turned out just like the other seasons. And um, yeah, that, that must be very hard to take. You know, in Zandvoort, where he, he he made a lap on stop for Inters, which was absolutely the right call, it bought him 14 seconds on Verstappen, just the way that the conditions were. You should not be losing a race to a guy in the same car that once you've got 14 seconds on him. But Max just did it, just took two seconds a lap out of him for a few laps, then undercut him at the stops, then pulled away. And so that, you know, just how do you how do you bounce back from that? Well, we'll come back to Red Bull in our part two of our motorsport season review podcast. Um, we'll be talking about being award season. We'll be talking about season review awards, and they're obviously going to be up for motorsports team of the year and Verstappen for driver of the year. But before we move on from Red Bull, can I just ask both of you briefly for a, a quick verdict? Was this a boring F1 season because of the domination that uh, we saw from one team? Mark, first of all, you give us your, your verdict. Uh, no, I'd never find any season boring. I mean, even when you have a, such a level of dominance, it's fascinating to understand, A, understand why, uh, and B, uh, watch how it develops and how the the others are, are dealing with that. And and just watching that whole sequence play out and, and watching it, you know, a great driver and a top team to absolutely at the, the top of the game. and, and being there witnessing history being made and records being broken. It, it, no, for me, it's never boring. It's just, they're just different. They just have different textures. And Alex, your view on that one? I think if I... it was, then we've done a bad job of it um, because it was an interesting, it was an interesting season, but not an interesting season if you present it in a surface uh, manner. 
uh, over TV, over in the written word, etc. So I, I think it was actually an incredibly exciting season of, of Formula One racing. When you look at several of the races, when you look at the battles throughout the pack, even to the end of the field, the millions and millions of dollars um, available to be available to be won or lost um, through to the end of the season between constructors. So when you tell those stories, I, I think it was an incredibly exciting F1 season, but it, it's a failure in broadcasting perhaps, or a failure in explanation. And with that failure in broadcasting and failure in explanation, it could be perceived as a bad one. So I guess it was down to us and the audience will decide. Absolutely. Good stuff. OK, well, let's move on. Um, we've got lots more teams to, to talk through. Let's go on to Mercedes now. Um, now, they came out of a very disappointing first season with this rule set, uh, telling us they'd learned their lessons, yet they were sticking with their concept. They, they were standing by it. That was proven to be a mistake very early on. And they've gone through a very, another disappointing season, yet they're still second in the championship. So, you know, on, on the basis of results, that's not that disappointing. But for this team, you've got to say, Mark, that um, this was a poor season. What would you what would you say to that? Yeah, it, it was, and uh, it's not one that um, they they will be um, happy with at all. And uh, it's yeah, they stuck they stuck with the basic aero layout of last year's car, and they thought they'd given it more appropriate rear suspension to get it away from the bouncing threshold, a bit more sophistication in the underbody design. They thought they'd unlock this potential that this car had, and it, it really it didn't. They concentrated on finding the downforce. At high ride heights, where it's very difficult to find, and generally, you know, didn't put priority on low ride height performance um, in the shape of their aero map, which it just meant it had quite limited rear end grip and high speed corners. Um, and there was something about the way the aero worked that made it very snappy and unpredictable into slow ones. <laughs> so, no sudden direction changes and no fast corners, thank you, which <laughs> made it quite limited one-dimensional car really mid-speed long corners it was good <laughs> Lewis Hamilton stuck, stuck it on pole in Budapest um, but it was reluctant to switch on its front tyres as well so it needed hard out laps to get the front tyre temperatures so that always put you at the mercy of track positioning so you saw these wild swings between the two drivers as one hit that you know threshold and the other one didn't um, but generally I think both Lewis Hamilton and George Russell were dealt a pretty me mediocre hand by what Mercedes gave them this year Alex, let's put put yourself in the driver's shoes here, Lewis Hamilton, George Russell. You you know, as a racing driver, you know pretty early on when you first test a, a new racing car whether it's going to work or not. Um, these two knew they were up against it all year. How did you think they responded to the the challenge this year? Uh, I think, I mean, uh, early days between those two, I, I thought and I saw that George would be able to uh, was so used to because he was earlier into the, the phase of his driving career was kind of more used to grabbing a car by the scruff of the neck and driving what he was given. Whereas Hamilton, we saw it all through the first year of the, the new Mercedes when it came out of the blocks would basically go out in even, even in the early days of testing, go out, do a lap. If he wasn't happy with it, park it, go, you'll have to sort that. And then, uh, and then continue on um, this year, we've seen more errors from George, which has been uh, uncharacteristic, I think, and something that I think he's something he needs to nip in the bud, to be honest. Um, otherwise, he's going to be considered as a bit of a nearly man throughout the season. But 
I would be frustrated if I was those Mercedes drivers. I think the concept of this car is built around the the theory that they had that they would be able to control the rear ride height of the car as they always used to in their dominant era. Uh, and as such, the, but, but with all of the suspension elements that were banned and disallowed moving into this next phase of regulations, they then realized through the first year of them that, that they couldn't. And it always looked to me like, I mean, when the, when the car first debuted in the Bahrain test, when we first saw it, it always looked to me like an incredibly pitch sensitive thing to drive. You see the car jump forward, drivers losing um, rear end grip and so on and so forth. I would be frustrated, particularly as George Russell, that the team maintained the confidence that they could make that uh, make that concept work and didn't divert away from it earlier. And I would be pushing hard for that to have for that to have occurred. I mean, but at this stage of the year, I'd just be pleased to see the back of the thing, and I think they both are. Absolutely. Mark, you've seen Lewis Hamilton throughout his Formula 1 career from the start all the way through. You've seen the peaks and the very few troughs that he's had. Um, what impressed me particularly this year was that it looked to me as if someone, he looked like someone who, if he's given the opportunity, he can still grab it. That eighth title, he still believes in it. He still believes it's possible. And there's no sign of a a waning of the of, of the ability uh, that he has. Um, do you agree with that? Would you say that he's still the force that he's always been? I think potentially he is. I think you don't really see a driver able to extract everything that they've got until they're in a car which uh, cooperates with them. So you sort of get a false ceiling a little bit, a bit like we had with Max at the beginning of last year where the, the Red Bull was a bit of an understeer and the Checo was pretty much as quick as him for a few races. It, it just places that false ceiling. And so, yeah, I don't think at every every race this year you'd point to Lewis Hamilton and say that was Lewis Hamilton at his best. I don't think it was possible for him to be at his best for, for many of those races just because of the way the car behaves. But um, you give him a little sniff and there he is on pole position and Budapest, there he is chasing Verstappen at Austin, you know, if, if the car is somewhere in the ballpark, all of a sudden he's, he's switching on. So that's a good sign. Um, I, I don't know. I'm not yet convinced how much he's, how much longer he's prepared to wait for the for the for this to, to come to him. Um, you know, for the good car to come back. I think he has this sort of vision or dream that do you like to bounce back after everybody's written him off and, and it's, it's still I rise sort of thing, you know, a bit like Muhammad Ali coming back after everyone thought he was a, a spent force. And and I think that is, is is what's keeping him going, not necessarily the numbers, the eighth title, although that would obviously embody that that that, that, um, that vision. But I, I, just the idea of, of him coming back and being able to say, there, I told you all, even if even if nobody was thinking that, that I think he, he makes that sort of um, that narrative in his head to to help him sort of uh, push him forward to fuel him. Um, but if Merck give him another, he's got two more years to do. If Merck give him another two get cars like this, I you know I, I I really I don't see him sticking out a mediocre car after mediocre car in the way that um, Fernando Alonso did. I don't think his motivation comes from the same place. No, no, it's interesting. I've, I've interviewed him twice this year throughout 
the after fp2 which is always a good teller because they've had a proper mm. go at it and they've had a yeah. proper feel of the car the first time was in singapore uh where the car was pretty good obviously red bull was struggling a little bit more and the second time was in suzuka and i've never seen rage behind the eyes like when the car was not good enough in suzuka and i would quote that to anybody who says that that lewis has lost the motivation for it and i've never seen joy like when it was good uh, he he i think the guy properly lives it every day and every week still so um i really wouldn't write him off for a while yeah could either you see him driving for anyone else i, I chuckled when the, the christian horner text message came up i mean alex you were just shaking your head as i said that you, you couldn't see him going anywhere else to to have a have a try I mean, I think oh, there's there's way too much water under the bridge at Red Bull. Um, you know, anywhere else he might go is only ever going to be shooting distance of what an on-form Mercedes could offer him. And mm. he's got so much of a head of steam. I, I think what we've seen this year between George and Lewis is actually a little bit of the... the Lewis is utterly brilliant at making the team work for him as well, in the same way Fernando is... Uh, and in the same way, Max, I think within that Red Bull lineup is just because he's got so much head of steam there. And I think at this stage of his career now, a, a risk of losing that position of control to potentially get a little bit further up the road. I think he'll believe in himself to be able to move that team back to where they need to be before he'll he'll opt for, for another option, really. Okay, Mark, what's your what's your thoughts? Is he is he they, Mercedes till he dies? The um the 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 big teams, the the the, the top teams, they they've they've got their you know their main man already in there. You know, it's 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 Ferrari, it's Leclerc, Red Bull, it's Verstappen, and you you know you, you if you're thinking of swapping, you you'd be thinking of either of those two, and you you have to go in there and take it off the guy, or you know at least make make your position equal to theirs um when when they're the incumbent driver and that's that's doesn't it doesn't really i i don't see it um that being the route to his eighth title no okay let's move on to ferrari um mark at this time last year um you were questioning the, how wise it was to replace matteo bonotto bonotto with um fred vasseur how do you think fred got on in his first year in the big job i think he got on really well um, but it's you know that he inherited the, the car that he had, and so he didn't have much say on that. But he he sort of um, he, he, he calmed the team down, and I think it was understandably very nervous and on its on its tippy toes a little bit after you know what what had happened there behind the scenes with Benotto's um, departure. Um, but he, he he calmed it all down, and um, he, he just sort of gathered everyone around him and. They, they were still operationally a little bit scrappy and, you know, the couple of times Leclerc got grid penalties for infringing when his race engineer should have been on top of it. And there's a couple of questionable calls on tyre strategies, but, you know, not nothing, no howlers really, um, unless I've forgotten an obvious one. I don't think so. No. Uh, so operationally a bit better. The car wasn't bad, given that no one was anywhere near the Red Bull. They got six poles over the year. Was a very quick qualifying car. It had its limitations in the race. Um, it, it's this again 
like Mercedes, they stuck to their original concept, and it it, it was by their own admission it was limited. It, it didn't have the the headroom of the the other concept, the, the Red Bull type concept, and basically it was they just ran out of airflow when you they, you they were trying to outwash the airflow around um, from the big bluff side pods at the front and also to keep the, the floor fed as well. And it just, it, it wasn't at high speed, it was just running out and you got this high speed snappiness, especially if you've got a crosswind and the drivers really found that very difficult to, to deal with. Um, so that was its limitation, but when everything was going well, it was a quick car and uh, yeah, they, they, were, they were a force to be reckoned with at various points in the season. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Alex, on the driver's perspective, they were, you know, Science and the clerk very equally matched. Um, Science obviously had that purple patch where he, you know, broke the Red Bull run and became the only other winner of the season in um in singapore um leclerc finished very strongly um what do you make of those two they are they are seen they do seem to be one of the best matched pairings in in the in on the grid at the moment i think they're a very well matched pairing and and in sort of their personality states as well they're very much sort of on message for ferrari aren't they you they had a They've had a, a few little snafus through the year. They've been, there's been some great side-by-side stuff, but I, they both seem to be uh, relatively well on message. It, it was interesting to watch that car ebb and flow between the two of them, that high-speed snappiness that Mark was just um, talking about. They, they had a go at curing it in the mid-year, and it was quite interesting as the car became more understeery then Leclerc struggled a little bit more with it, and then they kind of managed to sort that out, and it ebbed and flowed back. Um, you know, so I guess that was that was probably the most interesting thing um, between them. The tire degradation was always an issue. They often found themselves a compound harder than than other teams throughout the year, but. Yeah, they've got to try and get their race pace under control. I mean, it's cl- it's clearly a quick race car, isn't it? It's clearly a, clearly a quick qualifying car, which means that their aero concept can't be too far away. They've just got to find a way to make that work over the race stint, and clearly sticking that in the pair in the two drivers' excellent hands is not enough, and they're going to have to go back to the drawing board over the winter and make something that's sustainable over the Grand Prix distance. Mm. Yes. So I knew that uh, this would happen. Time is ticking on and we've only got through the top three teams. We'd better push on. What I'd like to do next is let's talk about McLaren and Aston Martin, that battle for fourth place. 
and talk about them maybe maybe a little bit together. Um, because one of them, obviously, in, in terms of Aston, started very strongly. McLaren started looking disastrously uh, off the pace. And, you know, James Key, the technical director, paid the price. Um, but they had that incredible um, turnaround from Austria, certainly from Silverstone onwards, where Orlando Norris actually led uh, the British Grand Prix. Uh, and really, after that, the, it swung McLaren's way. Mark, let's, let's start with McLaren, first of all, in terms of your perspective on them. Um, uh, you knew that those updates were coming. Were you surprised at how how much they turned things around? Oh, sure. I mean, they, you know, there were very confident noises coming out out of the team, but you know that you, you have to take that with a pinch of salt. But they were, you know, they were saying, no, we we believe we've got a second a lap coming, and you thought, well, that'd be a hell of an update. But yeah, it looks like it, they did have essentially, and um, it, yeah, they they knew even as they launched the car in its original form that that wasn't going to work and they had this um, parallel program going that wasn't quite ready to um, convert into a car at that point and uh, yeah they they twigged quite late in the day um what they 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 thought was um you know a, a crucial difference in how you uh, configured the underfloor and the side pods and all that, all that that part so that required a big big re-engineering job and came in two parts, one in Baku and the second part in Austria. And that's, as you say, that's when it really switched on. And from there, sort of all the way through to Qatar, really, you'd say overall, it was the second fastest car after the Red Bull. It was usually, usually better than the um, the Mercedes and, and, and the Ferrari. So, yeah, um, it was a fantastic turnaround, but it was one that was sort of made easier for them by the underperformance of um, Ferrari and Mercedes, I'd say. Yes, that's a good point. And in the era of the balance, um, the budget cap as well, to, to do that mid-season um, was kind of, it was a complete surprise, wasn't it, really? Yeah, it really was. I mean, in comparison, for example, to, you know, the, the slightly later update from Alpha Tauri, which, you know, it was a little jump. We, we through that, through that stage of the year, there were several teams that jumped on a big, uh, jumped on a big update package. And, and you look at, you know, for example, there's the full range and there's the one Haas brought to Cota, which got them absolutely nowhere. There was the the one Alpha Tauri brought a little bit later, which made a jump forward. You know, that those later updates, I think, show what a great job McLaren did there. Um, they've got a problem in the long term, which is, you know, you've got Oscar Piastri, who has come into that team and looks every bit as quick for me as Lando Norris. Uh, I had the great pleasure of listening to Zach Brown and Alan Prost for a, at an event a couple of weeks back. And uh, and those two sitting there remind you of the good old days of McLaren having a very serious teammate rivalry. Uh, and I think their, their biggest challenge into the future, if they can maintain the performance of that car, is going to be keeping those two uh, very ambitious young racing drivers out of the side of each other in a way which they didn't have to so much this year because Piastri as the incumbent rookie sort of took a natural step back. But he's de he's describing this season as what he hopes will be his last ever season being considered as a, a rookie or a young driver ever. And that demonstrates where they're at moving forward. Yes, it's a juicy, evolving storyline, that one, isn't it, between those two? Mark, I mean, Norris, um, he's always been very honest about pointing out his own errors and his own mistakes. It's part of the, the endearing qualities of him. But he also showed this year that he responded to that threat from Piastri 
Uh, and I, I thought he looked like a top line driver in a car that's not quite there, but he's getting there. Um, what was your what was your summary of Norris's season? Yeah, I think for the last two or three years, really, Norris has been, um, you know, world champion caliber of driver, just not with a car that's not quite there yet. Um, and yeah, he's ready to fight for titles. Absolutely, he's, he's, he's every every time he's there, he, he gets everything there is to get from the car um, in the race and in qualifying. And uh, yeah, he, 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 as you say, he nitpicks at the odd little error, and I think he's. He's getting a bit more wound up by the fact that he still hasn't won a Grand Prix and all, all these, but that that all just dissolve as soon as he does. So I'm sure. And yeah, for for me, you could compare him to anyone. Yeah, let's move on to Aston, um, and particularly Fernando Alonso, which is just wonderful to see him still um, f- fighting the way he always has throughout his career. But that that was a team that started the season second best, really, to Red Bull and looking very strong, and they slipped to fourth in the final points. Uh, with a, a very strange sort of season after the summer break, really. Mark, what, what went wrong there for, for Aston, do you think? Very difficult to call it. They had a transposed season to McLaren, didn't they? Almost at the same time as McLaren came good, Aston dropped off the pace. And the way that they dropped off the pace, it was after, after Spain and pretty much for the rest of the season, it was odd because they lost something like, if you just compare them to the, the front of the field, they lost something like three tenths of a second all in one chunk. So either everybody else improved by three tenths of a second at the exact same time, or something happened to their car. And they say they just lost the the way on the development direction. But even that doesn't really stack up very well because you, the, you would then just revert, wouldn't you? And then and, and try and find out what had gone wrong, and then you'd, you'd, you'd go on from there. Um, and I think essentially when they brought the update for Zandvoort, a lot of that was actually reversing the Canada update. And But by that time, the others have, have, have moved on. And so it improved things, but not to the extent that it put them where they were. And yeah, up, up before Spain, there was, you know, I don't think there's any question. It was it was the second fastest car overall. It was it, it, as, as a combination of a race and, and qualifying. But yeah, after that, it 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 really did lose something, and there was I mean, there's all sorts of uh, theories which they, um, they absolutely rebuff, saying it was uh, to do with the FIA panning down on wing flexibility and and stuff like that, and they say absolutely not, it's 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 not changed in that way. So well, I I can't give you a definitive answer, but something happened. Yeah, we're interested to see how they respond to that and how what they learned from that experience this year, I guess. But uh, Alex, in terms of Alonso, I mean, what can we say about this guy? You know, it's twenty years since that first Formula One win in Hungary for Renault. Twenty years. I mean, an F one career that, and he's still this incredible force. What did you make of Alonso this year? Uh, what impressed me most about Fernando was actually the end of the year rather than the the beginning. There's a tremendous recency bias. I realised when I watched. You know all of all the, the the reviews back um, the, this morning, and you forget just how good Aston Martin were at the beginning of the year and how routinely they were they were on the podium. The Fernando Alonso fight back though after, and and I spoke to Felipe Dragovic right in the middle of that period in Hungary uh, after Spain and before um, and before the Dutch Grand Prix. And I said, what's going on, Felipe? And, and he, we had a reasonably long and slightly opaque conversation where he was deciding how much he could tell me. But um, it, 
it approximated to we went for gold and made it slower and now we've lost so much time we've probably run out of time and money to make it fast again was 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 the fundamental was the fundamental point but i mean uh, early on in the season you know putting underneath hamilton in bahrain brilliant stuff high stakes podium again at the end of the year to drag them uh, to drag them back into it past Perez and into Lagos. Um, he's just he's just a bit of a marvel, isn't he, Fernando? I, I love the way he races, uh, yeah. and he, he's, a, he's a legend of the sport. Uh, there was a lovely moment between Perez and Alonso after that race, uh, when Perez, he, Alonso was in the interview pen, and Perez came up behind him and just gave him a bit of a hug. And, you know, there's a moment between two races, you know, obviously Perez was under a lot of pressure, uh, a lot of criticism coming his way, but that, that was a, a lovely little pure moment of, uh, of recognition between the two of them there. Yeah, and he's a true sportsman, um, Fernando. You know, I, I started next to him uh, at the at a fun race he did at the Daytona 24 Hours in an LMP2 car, and it must have been one of the lowest key races he'd done for years. Hmm. And he raced everyone in that field with respect, but with intensity with 24 hours to go he's a sportsman like that he loves racing for racing i genuinely believe and and again yeah it's it's lovely to see him support uh the driver again another lovely moment at the end of the year with uh with lewis hamilton where he goes uh, in the in the media pen where he goes fernando's getting a little bit old now and fernando just gives him a whack and uh it, it, but but on track there's there's no one harder to be alongside absolutely now, I think when I was speaking about Aston just now, I, I think I said they were fourth. Obviously, they were fifth. So we, that means we managed to complete uh, five of the 10 F1 teams in the time that allocated uh, for this first <laughs> part of the Motorsport Podcast. Completely predictable, but um, completely failed to talk about the second half of the grid. Let's come back to some of those uh, uh, themes in part two. Um, but we'll leave it there for now in terms of part one of this uh, motorsport season review. Um, and uh, we'll, we'll come back to part two, which will be um, with you very soon. Um, Mark and Alex, you'll be joining us for part two. But th for now, thank you very much for joining us. And uh, thank you all for listening. The Motorsport Season Review Awards, in association with Pocker 1-8th Model Kits. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 